Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Welcome to the Diecast Movie Podcast. My name is Steven. The podcast does two main types of episodes. One is interviews, and the other one is where a die is cast to decide the genre of the movie that we are going to discuss. Hello, everybody. Today's episode is an interview. I got to be lucky enough to interview Adrian Barbeau. I hope everybody enjoys it. During the interview, we discuss some of her recent work, um, two independent films in particular. One is Appleseed by Michael Wirth. And if you're interested in learning more about Appleseed and the director, filmmaker, actor, Michael Wirth, you can go back to episode 52 and you can hear an interview of him and learn more about it. You can also, as we mentioned in the interview, see the movie. It's streaming on the streaming service Up. Also, we talk about the other independent movie she did that I also really enjoy, and that's Unearth. And now when I got to interview both the filmmakers that were involved with it, and that's back when episode 51, um, Jonathan L- John Lyons and Dorada Suisse. So I hope you guys can go back and listen to those episodes and then go seek those movies out. I believe Unearth is um, available for rent. I don't think it's, it's streaming, but it's a rental stream. So I recommend both those films. They're very good. I highly recommend them. And you also hear Miss Barbeau talk about them and how she really enjoys those two movies also. Otherwise, without further ado, we're going to get into the interview. Just before we get into the interview, you're going to hear a little bit about the independent film that just came out, Todd Tarantula. You're going to hear the filmmaker talk about it for a little bit, and we're going to hear the and hear a little bit of the movie trailer, and right after that, it's going to go right into Adrian Barbeau. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Ansel Farage. And I'm Nathan Wilson. And we're we're independent independent filmmakers. filmmakers. Check out our folk horror film, Loon Lake, starring David Selby, streaming now on Tubi TV. And we also have a love story in Venice Beach called Will and Liz. Also streaming on Tubi TV. And our new film, Todd Tarantula, A Mystery of Psychedelic Proportions, streaming on Vimeo On Demand and coming very soon to Prime Video and DVD. Please check them out. They're a lot of fun, and we think you'll enjoy them. You can check out everything at hollandsworthproductions.com. They're all available on streaming and on Blu-ray and DVD. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy. Your father did mention your dreams. Daylight hallucinations, he said your mother called them. You still have dreams, don't you? Tell me one. Fetch, but I'll keep it in mind. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today I'm going to be joined with a legendary actress who's been in theater, who's been in TV, has been in films. You might have known her as 
the original Rizzo in Greece. She also was in Pippin. She was in TV show that most people know it watched in the 70s, Maud. And, of course, such classic films as The Fog, Cannonball Run, and many, many other things. How are you doing today, Miss Adrienne Barbeau? I'm doing well. Thank you. <laughs> I want to thank you for allowing me to interview you. This is something I've been looking forward to since I started the show four years ago. Oh, thank you. And um, I'm just curious, what got you started in your career? You know, um, was it something when you were young? Did you see like a certain stage production or movie? Or was it just something by happenstance that led you to choose this path of acting? Well, I think I was in fifth grade when somebody told my mother that I could sing. And so she started me taking voice lessons. And then um, in high school... I was actually working at a beauty salon, you know, taking a, making appointments and cleaning up and everything and just making small talk with one of the patrons who happened to be on the board of directors for the San Jose Civic Light Opera, which was a multi-million dollar organization even at that time. I mean, they did major productions. And we were just chatting. I said, oh, what, is, what are they doing, you know? And um, she said, we're doing King and I. And my boss sort of piped up and said, well, Adrienne sings, you know, you ought to go on audition. So I ended up getting the role and um, started working with the San Jose Civic Light Opera. And a week after I graduated high school, we went overseas under the auspices of the State Department uh, with a musical comedy review, and we entertained the armed forces. That was my first paying job. We got $7 a day. We were right up on the DMZ. I write about this in my memoir. Um, there are worse things I could do, which I took the title from the song that I sang in Greece. But um, it was an incredible experience, and it was. And then I came back after three months in, you know, North Korea and and uh, Japan and an atomic testing center called Johnston Island, and and I started college. I didn't know. I didn't know people earned a living as actors, I figured I'll get my degree and I'll teach acting. And um, I did another production with a woman who had been in New York and she had been in an off-Broadway show. And she said, you know, you ought to go to New York. I mean, that's where all the teachers are and you could see if you could do this. And I thought, okay, I will. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I said, you know, if nothing happens by the time I'm 25, I'll go back to school, get my degree and I'll teach acting. And by the time I was 25, I, I think I was working on Broadway in Fiddler on the Roof. I was one of the second. Do- I was I was one of the daughters, uh, along with Bette Midler, who played Seifel. I played Huddle, the, the the middle daughter. And so, I never looked back. <laughs> I, I can imagine growing. I never got my degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you you could say you got your degree in a different way. <laughs> I do have a lot of, and and I've continued to, you know, take classes in other things, Japanese and and French and things like that. But um, (laughs) there's big gaps in my education, which I don't miss too much. (laughs) I I think everybody has gaps in certain parts of their education. But the thing is, is you're able to study and do the stuff that you wanted to do. So that's that probably gives you more enjoyment instead of probably studying something. You're just like, Oh, I really didn't want to have to do this, but you got to pick and choose 
I have been very fortunate, Stephen, in that I don't feel like I've ever worked a day in my life. And I have been able to support myself and my family from the day I started working, uh, doing something I love, you know, that just brings me great joy. And, um, I mean, what more could one ask for? Well, I, I agree. It's as long as you're having fun and enjoying it, then why, why even stop? Which thankfully you keep, you keep working. So I'm, I'm, I never want you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> So well, have, I, I I have been working, and in addition to my acting duties, I do um, I do video captioning for the blind for all of your favorite television series and movies, and um, so that if you if you turn on the SAP channel on your TV, uh, and you are uh, visually impaired you will hear my voice or someone's voice describing what's going on on screen in between the dialogue. And I really enjoy that. And I do that whenever I'm not on a TV set or a movie set. Well, that is wonderful, you know, to take the time to help people out like that. Well, I mean, I'm getting paid for it, but it is, it is, it is very rewarding, especially when, you know, you get a, a letter from somebody. I had one not long ago from someone in Sweden who said uh, it just changed his life to be able to to hear what was going on, and uh, and I enjoy it. I get to watch a lot of things that I'd never watch on my own, <laughs> and um, it's fun. Well, that's good. I mean, like I said, it, it, that's that's something I didn't know that you did, and I'm glad that you you, you said that because. Being being somebody that's not visually impaired, you don't always realize um, what's out there for people that have differences. Um, I used to teach some classes for the school for the blind. I used to teach CPR and first aid, and you'd have to adapt things differently in some aspects for that. But it was still it's it was fun to teach. Yes, yeah. So now, anyway, I'm curious, how did you get to the role of Greece? I was doing, oh, to the role of Greece. Yeah, Greece. Okay. Yeah, with the Betty, Betty Rizzo, you got to play it. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Uh, I don't know if you know, but um, Greece just celebrated their 51st anniversary uh, of the opening. And for the 50th anniversary, uh, I co authored and edited a book called Greece Tell Me More, Tell Me More, which is a collection of stories from more than a hundred actors who were in the first Broadway production and then in the national companies and the original tours, everyone from John Travolta to Mary Lou Henner to uh, Patrick Swayze. And, um, and in, in it, we all talk about our audition stories and, um, you know, what it was like backstage and the rehearsals and, uh, it's it's a fun book for somebody who is a real hardcore Grease fan. I had been doing Fiddler. I had left about six months before I did a an off-Broadway show. And I think I did a tour of Fiddler with Robert Merrill just for a couple of months. And then 
I don't know how I got the audition because I didn't even have an agent, but I got an I got a call to come in and audition for this this new show that was, you know, sort of 50s rock and roll. Well, that was my kind of music. And um I think my initial audition was really an interview with the director who just said, you know, who were your favorite groups from the 50s? Well, I rattled off Johnny and Joe and the Grifters and the Platters and you name it. I mean, that that was the music, you know, I grew up with. And he told me later, the director told me later that he didn't know anything about the music of the 50s and 60s. He was just looking to see if people were honest. So <laughs> they they called me in and um, <clears throat> I auditioned. I think I sang Love Potion Number 9 and Over the Mountain. It was right before Christmas. I left New York and came to L.A. with my boyfriend to celebrate the holidays. And after I'd been here about three days, I got a call from the producers saying, well, we really want to see you for another role. Can you come back in and audition? I said, no, I'm in L.A. And these were the days when, you know, a, a plane ticket was everything you had in the bank. I mean, you just didn't, you know, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I, 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 I can't. They called me a couple of days later and said, if we could wait until New Year's Eve day, could you cut your vacation short and come back and audition? And I thought, well, if I don't want to be unemployed for the rest of my <laughs> life, I better say goodbye to the boyfriend and get on a plane. And so I did. I flew back and I auditioned for them at about 11 o'clock in the morning on uh, December 31st. And they hired me on uh, at 4 o'clock that afternoon. And we started rehearsals January 4th of 1972. Amazing, you know how uh, people always seem to go away, and then they're like, well, "No, we need you to come back." And then, but you, I guess when that second call came, you know they really wanted you. <laughs> well, or I knew I really, if I wanted to be there, I needed to be there. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's how that happened. And that's that's amazing because it's not often you get to originate a role. In theater, that that last and last and last, as you said, fifty-one years now, where people yeah. are still performing it everywhere, whether it's um high school theaters, college, or local theaters, all the way up to Broadway, still, and it, yes. it's amazing. Yes, it's uh, it was a, uh, and it was really, I mean, it was the, it was the basis for friendships, my closest friendships that have lasted. 51 years. It, 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 Greece had an enormous impact on me. And then because I was nominated for a Tony for the role, Norman Lear came looking and um, eventually hired me to do Maud. And Maud, such a groundbreaking show. I remember um, watching some episodes when I was growing up and then getting to watch it again in reruns, but it's just be off for was just so amazing as a performer. And I'm sure you probably learned a lot from her. I sure did. I sure did. I mean, nobody could hold a take like B, you know. <laughs> and and just the way she was at, uh, in the rehearsal hall. I mean, 
we all came from a theater background. So everybody was extremely professional, but B was the most giving, uh, supportive, loving person you could work with. She didn't suffer fools, you know, but she was, it was, the show was what was important. There was no ego there. And so she was the first one to say, you know, I think this joke would be funnier if Adrienne said it or if Conrad said it or, I mean, all she wanted was for the show to be the best it possibly could. And um, she was first in the rehearsal hall and, and the first one to jump up from the table to greet a visiting actor. And um, she was just, she was, we were blessed to be able to work with her. And as, as a person watching, I was just so happy just to be able to watch her perform in so many different shows and movies. And it's just to see her do her, with her work. I wish I ever had a chance to meet her, but it's so great when I get to talk to people like yourself that knew her firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you went from Maud. I know you did a lot of different TV movies. You know, you were in things like The Great Houdinis and other stuff like that. But eventually you did a work in a movie and you got to meet a certain director. And yes, I, I was called in by, um, John Carpenter who ha- I, I think it was probably because he was aware of my work on Maud and he saw something in me that was the kind of actress that he wrote for, you know, sort of the Howard Hawks woman, the way John always described it strong and witty and um, so John called me in and asked me to do a role in it was his actually it was his first studio film it was a television film but the first time he was working with a union cast and everything called Someone's Watching Me Mm -hmm. with um, Lauren Hutton and David Burney and so we worked together on Someone's Watching Me and um, our professional relationship moved into a personal relationship and uh and then he wrote the fog and asked me to read it and i read it and i thought oh well i mean it's not very socially significant you know (laughs) this was in the days of the china syndrome and coming home and uh equal rights amendment and women's rights and uh Roe v. Wade, and I was an activist, and not a militant, but I mean, I, you know, and and he handed me this, well, what was it, a fantasy or a a horror script, and I didn't know horror at all. I had never, I'd never seen a horror film. Uh, I'd never seen Psycho or any of those films, and, um, but the character was wonderful, and uh, thank God I did it, (laughs) because it's, here we are, what, 40 years later, 50 years later, and it's still as uh, people still love it as much as they did when it first came out, more even because uh, it's it's got a huge following. And uh, she was a wonderful character. Oh, you you were wonderful. And, and I remember my eldest brother taking me to see it at the movie theater. I was too young to normally be able to go, but when you have a brother that's eight years older than you, you can get into a lot of things that you don't normally get to see. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed it then. It's one of my favorite horror films. And my son, one of my one of my sons, it's his favorite horror film by far is The Fall. Really? Yep. 
<laughs> he likes it more than Halloween. I know that's, that's, her- that's, that's you know, a lot of people say it's heresy when it comes to John Carpenter, but it's just, that's just the way he rolls. And he loves well, your character. It's, it's totally different from Halloween, right? I mean, it's, yes. yeah, yeah. It's a good story. And so what are some things, like when you were doing that film, I know a lot of your scenes, you were by yourself. You know, you were in the, mm-hmm. the lighthouse and so on. But you did, you did have some scenes with your um, son, your you know, your movie son. And you also had some scenes with um, the woman that would house-sit him, the nanny, I guess you could call it, or the neighbor, and uh, those kind of things. But did you get to interact with other people in the other part of the cast? Like, was it when they were doing their scenes, or was it were you pretty much isolated from everybody else? No, I was pretty much isolated. <laughs> And in fact, I mean, we shot the bulk of the film in Inverness, California, Point Reyes National Seashore. That's where the lighthouse is. But the interiors, my interiors for the lighthouse, were on a soundstage here in L.A. So I wasn't working with anybody. (laughs) But I knew, I mean, they were all friends. I mean, Tom Atkins and I went back several years. I think I... I may have introduced Tom to John and um, and Jamie Lee we knew because John had directed her already in Halloween and Nancy Kyes, uh, who played uh, Janet Janet Lee's uh, assistant, Nancy Kyes was married to one of John, John's closest friend, Tommy Wallace, who was his art director and they had stood up for us at our wedding so I knew Nancy very, very well. I didn't know how before then, and I don't know if I ever met him while we were doing The Fog. I, I, I don't remember, and I didn't know Janet before then. And again, we were never on the set at the same time. Uh, I got to know how, you know, two years later when I when we did Creepshow together. Oh, well, Hal Holbrook is just... Amazing actor and how and what yeah. things that he could do. It's just it's oh, his career was extremely long, and I I wish I would I saw him in Mark Twain. <laughs> yes, yeah. But so, th- this movie kind of typecast you in a way where you know where you know you, you became like a I, I hate to call them screen queens, but they call them screen queens. So you, to me, you were a tough person who was going out there and just fighting off these ghosts. At doing the best that you could. I mean, you know, you you were one against a multitude, <laughs> and you you were doing to me. So you weren't. You were never to me like a um, a, a person who was cowering. You always seemed to portray those strong characters. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, even in Greece, and even in Fiddler, you know, back on stage, I was I was the one who went off to Siberia with her boyfriend. <laughs> you know, I mean. Um, Yep. <laughs> just the way I was raised, I think. <laughs> and I'm just curious, do, do you know, did this affect the movie choices that you had down the road doing The Fog, or was it just pretty much one, you know, you still had a, a choice of a variety of different things? You know, and I say this in my memoir, I mean, sometimes as actors we take roles because we love them, Sometimes we take roles because, and this has happened to me, certainly, they're shooting in a part of the world that we really want to go to. Sometimes we take roles, as I have, 
because we've got termites in the house and we've got to put a tent on the roof <laughs> and somebody's got to pay that bill. So <laughs> um, there are a lot of things that I took because I needed to work um, and some things that I took because I absolutely love them. When Creepshow came along, I wasn't anywhere near interested in doing it. I I didn't understand it. I thought it was vile. I didn't know anything about George Romero. I, I thought, oh, no, this is gross. This is, ooh, I couldn't do this, you know. And Tom Atkins had already been cast, <clears throat> and Tom was a close friend. And so I called Tommy, and I said, Tom, you're going to do this, you know? And, I mean, I had John on one side saying, are you kidding? You're going to turn down a a chance to work with the master of horror with George Romero. I didn't know who George Romero was. I didn't watch those movies. But Tommy said, no, 80, you don't get it. You know, it's going to be very stylized. It's like a cartoon. It's like a comic book. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. It's going to be so much fun. And so I did it. And boy, am I glad I did. <laughs> and I am so glad that Tom Atkins told you to do it too. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you, and got you know, the... Tom and I have done four films together. We've never had a scene together. <laughs> we've been in, I think we've been in four films. Let's see. The Fog, Escape, Creep Show, and Two Evil Lies. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just wild. You know, you, well, we keep working, but we're never in the same shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you got to work with Fluffy. What was that like in, in Creep Show? <laughs> Sorry, even, excuse me. I'm just getting over pneumonia. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't really remember. I hate to disappoint your your listeners, but I don't remember much about Fluffy. I didn't even remember that. I mean, I've I've since learned that there was somebody inside Fluffy. I didn't know I was. In it. <laughs> I, I just don't remember. <laughs> That's I look at it this way, you know, this movie was like 40 years ago and, and people, I don't, I have no problems when people, I don't really remember because I have trouble remembering when I did four days ago, you know, yes. let alone 40 yeah. years ago. So I, I don't think anybody should have an issue with that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm the type that doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> but I was like, you, we talked about two horror films, but there's one film that was a departure from all those. And that's when you did Cannonball Run and you worked I'm not sure if you were, if you got to see, meet them or do stuff with them because you were in some scenes, I guess, with them. But you worked that 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 can't, the, the cast list is just about everybody. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I knew Sammy, and I knew Bert, um, and I think I no, I may ha I may have already known Dom at the time. I can't remember. I did um, I did a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at Burt's Theater in Jupiter, and Burt directed it, and Dom was there with us. And so I, but I can't remember if that was before Cannonball Run or <laughs> after. Um, but I was starstruck when it came to Roger Moore. And... Uh, I, it was like, oh my God, Roger Moore, you know, <laughs> what am I going to talk to him about? <laughs> and, 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 uh, Dean Martin was just, he was just fun. 
<laughs> he never said a word that was on the page, but it didn't really matter. I mean, I you never knew what your cue was and if it was time for you to speak, but it, it still didn't matter because he was just so delightful. It was not it was not my favorite film to do. And again, I talk about that in the memoir because I just sort of had a different approach to the work than everybody else did. And we had two really tragic uh, accidents, one really tragic accident and another severe accident on the set that sort of, you know, took away a lot of the uh, enjoyment of of doing the film. But um, but people love it. <laughs> the people love it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is you never know what happens behind the scenes. Like I didn't know there was a tragic accident and a near tragic one during it, you know, and, and sometimes you hear about these things, but back then in the early eighties, these are things that didn't always make the news like it would nowadays. Right. We didn't have, you know, we didn't even have people magazine back then. I don't think I, maybe we did, but yeah, we did, certainly didn't have social media or anything. No, one of our stunt women was paralyzed from the neck down in a, in a, you know, in a shot that went wrong. And that's you take every safety precaution you can, and still, sadly, some things can happen. And I hope that was the yeah. case where every precaution was taken. But that's that's it's always a risk. Yeah. Um, yeah. People don't realize, you know. I didn't realize. Uh, I, I remember doing Swamp Thing, and I had never done any, you know, major stunt. Uh, none of the movies I had done up until that time had involved any real stunts for me. And I remember the stuntman saying, uh, it was a scene where I was supposed to be running and I was being pursued by a Jeep and, you know, the bad guys in a Jeep. And the stuntman said to me, now listen, if you fall, don't move and we won't run over you. And I thought, what? <laughs> you mean, that's a possibility? <laughs> you know, it was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> And, um, yeah, people don't realize there's, well, we've seen it in the news, you know, mm-hmm. many times. Oh, yeah. I, I always think of Twilight Zone, the movie. And it's right. And it's, right. It's, that's like, I think for people of our age, that's like the go to one that made the news and made everything. And yeah. And you just, and just recently, been... the, uh, the, uh, Alex, Alec Baldwin, I mean, at uh, Rust, you know, on Rust. I know it's just, you know, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, let's move on to a lighter note or a different note. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of independent films. and I have. <laughs> and, and I know, and then, like you said, sometimes it's sort of the script, sometimes it's for work. Sometimes it could be both where it's like you love the script and you're getting the good, the work to help pay for things. Um, you were in a couple movies I saw that came out not that long ago that I really enjoyed. And one of them, you got to work with director Michael Wirth, who you've done a couple of films with. And the one I'm going to talk about is Appleseed, where you got to play Jolene. And it came out in 2019, 2020, because I think one was like the festival, then it came out on Showtime in 2020. And what was it like working on Appleseed? I know for listeners, you're in one scene, but it's a great scene. And Rance Howard is just wonderful. It was, it was just, it was a delight. It was a delight. I had worked with Rance in another Michael Worth film 
I don't remember what year it was, um, called Ghost Rock. But I didn't get to know him very well on that film. And, oh, what a lovely man. And it was, it's, it was just a beautiful, lovely script. You know, so when Michael called me and said, look, it's just a one-day shoot, and, but I think you'd be wonderful. I said, I'll be there, you know, and um, it, was, it was just a joy to work with him. Because yeah, Michael worked not only directed, but he acted, and he was in that same scene. And I think I remember him telling me when I interviewed him, I think it was seven years ago to the day when you guys were in that movie, just Ghost Rock, at that same location or same like, like really yeah something like the same maybe not the same exact location but the same Arizona same town same like it was like really weird it was it was like yeah <laughs> oh for heaven's sake I, I I don't think I was even aware of that <laughs> well, he wasn't I aware of it until um I think the um, one of his one of his co- one of his production guys told him hey did you know this happened seven years ago to that day or something like that oh for heaven's sake. All I, re- all I remember is showing up, and the makeup artist hadn't shown up. So all of a sudden, it was like, "Oh my God, have I got any makeup with me to work?" And that I can, you know, you know, it's an independent film. You sort of fly by the seat of your pants sometimes. And it is. I, I saw it in 2020, and it was the best film I saw that came out in 2020 by far. It was oh, the number how one lovely. film. And. I thank you for it because I, I, I saw your name was attached to it and that's what led me to watch it. And I enjoyed it so much. It led me to seek out Michael Worth to interview. So I thank you for both those things and, and, and giving Rance Howard is that he was in his first starring role in the movie and it sadly ended up being his final film. His final film. Yeah. Yeah. And he got to work with his son. Yeah, he got to work with Clint. Yeah, and it's, and for those that haven't seen it, you should see it. It's just a, it's a beautiful film. I think it's on um, the the streaming service Up right now. So it's, it's oh it's, really yes. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, so that way listeners can know where to go seek it. I highly recommend that movie. Now there's a talking about a totally different film. <laughs> you were you did Unearth, and I saw that the following year, and this is an echo horror film. And it's it's an amazing film because the first half of it is the build up, letting all the characters get developed, and the second half basically all hell breaks loose. And it's an ensemble cast. And what was it like working on Unearth? Uh, I had a, I mean, I was I was really happy to be there. Um, in the first place, I was a big fan of Mark Lucas. From he had a series on HBO about football and now I can't remember the name of it but when uh, when the director contacted me and sent me the script and said Mark was in, in, involved I thought oh that sounds interesting I'd like to do that and then I mean it's a fascinating topic fracking and what I thought was so valid about the film is that the director and the writers um presented both sides of the story. You know, it wasn't fracking is bad and fracking is bad and, you know, this is terrible. And, you know, they they really led you to understand how people 
are put in a position where they need to lease their land for, uh, you know, for drilling. And they're not bad guys and um, they're not terrorists or any, you know, ecological terrorists. They're, they're desperate. And so I, I, I was, I was very interested in the whole thing and um, had a lovely, I had a great time doing it. We shot it around Erie, Pennsylvania. And, um, and I was really happy with the outcome. It's a, like I said, an excellent film. And it's a film that you don't see as often nowadays. Like I said, where you, you allow people to develop the characters. So that way, when things take a turn for the worse, you really care about yes. each character. Yes. Yes. So, so, I mean, I can't tell you how many screenplays I get where, you know, within the first four pages, five people have been killed in the most horrific way. And who cares? Cause you don't even know them. And it's like, no, not for me, but here you really understood these people and what they were fighting and fighting for and fighting against. And John Lyons and Dorada Suisse, who directed it, co-directed, I think one directed, one worked more of you guys as the actors and one was working on all the cinematography and setting up all the shots, if I yes. remember correctly. So what was it like working with uh, like a, uh, a, the two directors that way? Oh, they were great. They were great. I, if, if I remember correctly, most of my, most of the input came from John, but he was obviously consulting with Dorada, you know, but it, it, I, it's been a while since we did it. Um, I, I seem to remember John was, you know, behind the camera more. Although, no, Dorada was right there. She was looking at everything. So between the two of them, we were, we were in good hands. I remember talking to him about the movie, and it's just – amazing how they were able to get such a like I said a great cast with you Mark Bluckus they also had playing your son PJ Marshall you know I mean, yes oh. yes yeah well you know when you write good words um people want to show up oh I admit it, and they did and from my understand if I remember correctly when you were growing up you worked on a farm or was it a winery with your on your grandparents farm my grandparents had 20 acres of grapes in selma california the raisin capital of the world <laughs> it's right outside of fresno and my sister and i spent all our summers there so i i wasn't i mean i was working on the farm in terms of helping my grandpa and my grandmother you know i wasn't getting paid or anything i was just doing you know uh, if if the, if the grapes needed to be picked, or if the uh, I, I think I again I think I wrote about it in the memoir. There was one night it was a This America was on television, and we got the call from relatives in Fresno that rain was coming, and all of the grapes were on their trays on the paper trays out in the fields. And if water hits the grapes, they're you know they're not going to be good raisins. And so we had to go out and and um, <clears throat> and do like a cigarette roll on all the on the the trays of raisins. 
And I got lost out in the 20 acres. It was pitch black. I didn't know where I was. I couldn't see where the house was. I sort of got scared. I mean, I was like 11 or 12 years old, you know, but it seemed very dramatic to me. I was, I probably had just seen Tammy tell me true where they saved the tomato plants or something. I don't know. It's been a long time, but um, yeah, I, that, that sort of was my, one of my basics of growing up, you know, I do relate to, to the, to farmland. And I think that, oh my God, the farm in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, you've never had corn like that. It didn't even need steaming. I mean, it was so fantastic. The, the produce that they were raising where we were shooting was, uh, unforgettable. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think I know because I grew up the first five, six years of my life in near Erie, Pennsylvania, in a little town called Edinburgh. And we used to okay. go up there all the summers for many years. We used to go back and visit. So I'm very familiar with the area. <laughs> you know, we may have even, Edinburgh sort of sounds familiar. We may have even filmed there. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's been yeah. a while. It was before the pandemic. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, a lot of things have changed since then. But there was a college at Edinburgh, so or university, I think they call it now. So that I seem to think we shot in a bar or a restaurant or something in Edinburgh. I, I, you'd have to go back and ask John. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would know. Um, you know, it's you know because all the setting up and everything, and, it, and it, that movie is a labor of love that they worked on for years. And I'm just so happy that it turned out so well for him with the special effects, the acting, the writing. It's just such a good unnerving film that could be so real. Yes. It was even selected for a retrospective at the uh, museum of modern art in Manhattan. I went back, I don't know if it's been a year or maybe last six or eight months ago. uh, And they had uh, screenings of it. And um, because it's an important film, too. I mean, it's not just it's not just a horror film. Oh, exactly. It's 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 an environmental film. And uh, it's it kind of reminds me of the 70s ones that we used to see all the time. And it's it's a nice, like I said, a throwback, but important, especially to the current times. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you've done so many different things. You did stage, you've done TV, you've done movies. But another thing you've done is voice work. And I know a lot of people usually will ask you about Batman and that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you about something different because it's Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. (laughs) My children and I just love Scooby-Doo. And you got to play Simone. And I can't can't have an interview with you without asking you about (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Excuse me. What I remember about Scooby-Doo is showing up and finding out when I got there that she was supposed to be, you know, a French, uh, I don't want to say she wasn't Creole. She was, um, well, she was supposed to have a French accent. And I thought, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And when I I sort of, all I could think about was, um, Catherine Deneuve, who had a a commercial on the air where she said, 
sometimes it's not easy to be Catherine Deneuve. And so I just thought, okay, I got to find this French accent. I, I didn't have any, any advance warning or I would have done a little research. And so I sort of thought, well, Miss Simone has sort of a, a funky French accent, but nobody's complained. And, and that's pretty much all I remember about it. Well, it worked well. And I just like, everybody enjoys it in our household. Um, that's great. <laughs> now, before I start the interview, there's a couple of TV shows that you were on recently that you want me to ask you about. And one is AJ and the Queen. Yes. AJ and the Queen is a Netflix series starring RuPaul. And it's, it's sort of a delightful series. And I think I'm in the third episode. I'm not quite sure. But uh, I was, I was, uh, I, I really liked the character. And I was sort of proud of the work. I was happy with it. And it was, I, I, I loved working with Rue and getting to know him and becoming friends. And, but it's, uh, it's, it's a nice series. It's worth watching. And yes, you, you're right. It's the third episode, and it's called Columbus. I think that's the one. I think that's the one. According to IMDb, which we all know is, is always correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one I'm in? <laughs> yes. Well, that's what it says okay. you're in, so I'm just, I'm just going by what it says. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and another one is Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop, again, was a Netflix series. It is a live-action series based on the 1990s uh, Japanese anime, mm -hmm. Cowboy Bebop. And the great thing for me about doing Cowboy Bebop was um, we shot in New Zealand. Ooh. And I went, I went back to New Zealand twice. I went the first time and got hair and makeup and wardrobe, and then I had a few days off, and I got to go all over New Zealand, and then I got the phone call that the lead actor had torn his ACL, and we were going to have to shut down for a while. So I, I ended up with like a three-week vacation in New Zealand, came home, and then the next time we went back was at the height of COVID. New Zealand was completely open. I mean, we had to, we landed, we got in a bus, we had no idea where we were going. They took us to a hotel that was controlled by the military, the naval, naval Navy guys, a, a very nice, like a Sheraton or something. We quarantined for two weeks, a really strict quarantine, could only have food brought to the outside of the door. And, you know, brought, we carried it in and Nobody came in to change sheets or anything. They gave you sheets if you wanted to change your sheets. We could walk in the parking lot of the hotel for an hour a day. But at the end of the two weeks, New Zealand was wide open. And uh, so that was, <laughs> that was a wonderful way to spend the tag end of the pandemic. And um, she's, a, she's an interesting character. Uh, and the show was... It was it was very well received. It did not get a second season. I think there were a lot of people who were such fans of the anime that it bothered them that this was live action. But um, 
but I was glad to do it. Well, I'm glad it was done. And for listeners wondering, you're on episode four, and you played Maria Murdoch. Who is the mother from hell. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, you, get, you go where you go. It's, you can't always be the, you, sometimes you got to be the bad guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I was going to say, the other thing that listeners might not know is you, as you brought up before, you wrote, there are worse things that I can do, but that's not the only thing you've written. You've written a, a trilogy. I've written a trilogy and then just co-wrote and edited uh, the Grease book. Yep. Yeah. The trilogy is uh, started off with the uh, 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 Vampires of Hollywood, which I co-wrote with an Irish author. And then um, he got busy, and so I took over the series and wrote Love Bites, which we are in the process of um, pitching as a series. And uh, and then I wrote the the end of the series, the trilogy, uh, Make Me Dead, which was only published as a, 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 a an ebook, but uh, about a 450-year-old Armenian vampire who happens to be a screen queen and the, the head of a small movie studio. <laughs> and somebody's killing off all of the A-list actors in Hollywood, most of whom, unbeknownst to anybody, are vampires. <laughs> so so it's, it's just sort of fun and gave me a chance to poke fun at my industry and... Um, and write a, a detective novel, which is what I read all the time, and uh, and write about things I know. <laughs> and that and that's the fun thing is you, you you're able to do so many different creative outlets. You know, singing, dancing, acting, writing. I mean, it's just amazing. You have a few projects that are coming out that you can talk about. You said, and you wanted to bring up. And I, you know, while we have our last couple of minutes, I might as well ask you to talk about those. And one of them you wanted to talk about is. Early Retirement. Early Retirement is a, a short film that just won some awards here at a film festival here in uh, in uh, Hollywood. And um, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a small, delicate film about uh, a, a son and his father who is not in favor of his lifestyle. And uh, I'm his mother, who is sort of the mediator of all of it. And um, it's, a, it's a really nice short film. And then the other one is Oddities, which was just completed and is making the rounds of the festival circuit and is, uh, is sort of a combination crime thriller and horror film. Uh, oops, excuse me, I'm sorry. My phone just rang. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, it's quite well done. Tyler Savage is the director on that one. I, I just, I I just read the synopsis, good. and it's, it's, it fits so you. It's a, when a drugged-out duo attempts to rob an antique store, they realize the older woman running the shop isn't as defenseless as she seems. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Shades of Billy from Creepshow, in a way, and but much worse. 
Much more conniving. <laughs> and, and the other one was um, Harlan Coben's Shelter. Oh, Harlan Coben. Harlan Coben's Shelter, which will be on Amazon Prime. I think it'll probably uh, drop this summer. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do uh, a recurring role on that. It's, um, it's based on Harlan's YA series about Mickey Bolitar, who is, if, if anybody knows my, Harlan's Myron Bolitar series, um, Mickey is Myron's nephew, and uh, Harlan has three books in that series. They're YA books. And uh, I really enjoyed doing that, and, and she was quite a, I enjoyed doing that, that character a lot. I've got a couple of episodics coming up that I can't talk about yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing them. And, uh, and then we'll see what's next. I'm just so happy that the people realize that what talent's there and they keep, you keep getting the work in because I, like, I've never seen you do a bad performance. I mean, I've seen you in a oh. lot of different things and I've enjoyed well, it. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't seen everything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you have 155 credits and I always find it interesting when they, when they give you credits and that they consider Maud all one credit. And it, it was like over a hundred episodes you were in, but it's all considered as one. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's all right. <laughs> But I want to thank you so much for allowing me to interview. This is this has been such a pleasure. Well, thank you. It's nice to be able to talk about the things that are coming out, and and I love that you loved Appleseed and um, and uh, uh, oh my gosh, my mind unearthed, Earth, unearthed, <laughs> and um, I, I, it's wonderful, especially because. I don't know about, yes, Appleseed, I think, came out during the pandemic, too. Unearth got sort of waylaid because they were just ready to, you know, bring it out when we got hit with the quarantine. And so it's nice to know that people are finding out about it. Oh, I agree. And that's why I tried to highlight those two films, because they're, like you said, the pandemic caused these hidden gems to now, to now be hidden gems where they could have been brightly, had the light shined on them, but People should go out there and seek them. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. people can find you because I know you do a lot of different conventions and stuff like that over the years. And um, hopefully people can see you at different ones and get to meet you and greet you. And, you know, that the, you can share stories and they can get their picture and autograph. I try to keep my um, website up to date. And I do, I, 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 I don't. I don't use Facebook very much, but I use Instagram and everything I post on Instagram goes on to Facebook. So, um, but my website, you know, I try to keep it up to date and that'll tell, you know, I usually, I, if, if I am doing a convention, I'll, I'll post that there and talk about the things that I've just done. And just before we say our proper goodbyes, I just want to say thank you again for the show and letting me interview you. And I hope you have, a great summer, spring and summer. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hope everybody enjoyed that interview with her. It was a pleasure to talk with her. I really want to thank her a lot for taking her time out of her day to do that. Also to remind everybody, if you have any feedback, please 
Feel free to email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message on our Facebook page. And I want to remind everybody that the Rondo Award nomination that we have for Best Podcast, if you want to vote for the Rondo Awards, it's you can still vote up until I think it's April 23rd. So please feel free to vote for us. The How to Vote is on our Facebook page. It's also in the show notes. But it's simply sending an email out to David Colton, who is the founder of the Rondo Awards. And uh, basically, you just put in the message, Rondo Awards, and in the subject matter, Diecast Movie Podcast for Best Podcast. And include your name. Everybody's allowed to vote once per category. So if you want to look at the other categories, feel free. Um, just thank you for your support. And I hope everybody just enjoyed this episode. And to take us out, we're going to hear the trailer for the movie Unearth. And I hope you guys... Seek that out and enjoy it. It's a good, old-fashioned echo horror film. Everybody have a good day. And again, thanks for listening. Bye. God help us if we get another week yield this season. I got you all finished up. I can do $50 cash. I don't think you guys are seeing the full picture. Catherine, you got a highway at the back of your field now. But where's your dairy business? I'm telling you, we gotta go big. We gotta get out. Eddie Drake, Patriot Exploration. Not interested. We could pay up to $1,200 an acre. The world is leaving us behind. I know you had a visit with You make the decisions that's best for your family. I'll make the decisions that's best for mine. Does that sound like something you might be interested in? Jesus, Dad, wake up! I just, just close my eyes for a second. <laughs> <laughs> this was supposed to save life.